Hi everyone, um, welcome to Talking Jack with me, Claire, and my sister Megan. Um, in, in today's episode, we will be discussing fitness influencers, the influencer marketing strategy in general, what influencers are, and just particularly the explosion of, or or we'll be looking if it is a said explosion of um, fitness influencers, what it all means and uh, how they make money, positives and negatives. Um, and yeah, just really exploring all of that today. So it will be presented by myself, and Megan, again, will be in the dark about this topic, and we're just going to get into it. Yep. Talking Jack. Dissecting the everyday. So um, as I've said, we're going to be looking at the fitness influencer industry. Um, but before we get into it, before we sort of look at what influencers are in general, um, I just want to start um, by asking you, Megan, what you think of when you or when one says the word influencer. Um, I suppose it's someone who's online or like um, I always just think of Instagram really um, and they're maybe paid or sponsored to endorse a particular uh, product or um, I don't know like fashion uh, place just really anything that you can buy yeah and do you see um, that has a particularly negative or positive connotation or you don't really have associate anything like that with it? Uh, I think it's quite mixed. Um, I think um, it depends what particular like industry or type of influencer they are or what they're sort of selling, I guess. Uh, in general, you know, if you were just to sell an influencer influencer to someone I think maybe it has a negative connotation but I don't I don't really know why I guess I get um, and maybe it's because people don't think they're genuine or um okay. yeah I guess I just... that kind of like you're showing something like online for example or like a post and you're saying oh this like I don't know, skincare thing really worked for your skin. And it's like, yeah, but did it really? Or are you just saying it because you've got paid to do it? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I just wanted to start with that just to see if, as we go through this episode, just to see if that changes or if what you think is just reinforced. Don't think it'll change too much, but we'll see. Um, okay. So, yeah, you're right enough. Every, everybody kind of knows what an influencer is. Um, so influencer was added to the Merriam-Webster dictionary in 2019, no surprise. Um, and yeah, it's just become such a big part of today's sort of digital online sort of world. Um, 
But yeah, the reason I asked about whether it's positive or negative connotations is because recently, like a lot of people have um, scrutinised the term influencer or people who are influencers because they perhaps mislead audiences and have quite a negative impact on society. I don't know if that's solely true. Um, I think there's some positives to it, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, so yeah, we'll just sort of start by maybe like breaking down what an influencer is, but you've already kind of said what it is. We all, we all know what it is, but, um, yeah, so, uh, influencers are really just ordinary people. I mean, it depends. I'm going to go into it. There's different levels of being an influencer, but across the board, they're really just ordinary people who have become famous in today's, uh, society and today's viewpoint of what an influencer is through social media and they basically are just people that create loyal followers and the more followers they have the more influence they have so you know their influence is predicted off how well their audience feels like they can identify and relate to them um their notoriety and um, paired with a support system of thousands or millions of followers has created a new class of celebrity which is the influencer um it sort of changed the landscape of various industries and today obviously we're going to be focusing on the fitness industry um and changed you know the way a lot of online marketing is done for a lot of companies and a lot of industries um fitness influencers in particular have kind of shaped how well-being can be easily attained by everyday people um in general um yeah so sprout social kind of said that it's just along the same sort of lines they've 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 said that an influencer is someone in your niche or industry with sway over your target audiences. Influencers should have a specialised knowledge, authority or insight into a specific subject. Um, yeah, so they had some stats as well saying that like 85% of marketers engaged in influencer marketing in 2017. I can imagine that's increased now since we're in 2022 and 92% said their campaigns were effective so you can understand why a lot of people a want to be influencers and b companies want to recruit influencers because 92 is quite a high success rate for any marketing campaign or strategy um yeah so an influencer can assist companies in influencer marketing which is a form of advertising that builds brands authority on the back of another person's reputation so you know influencer marketing isn't a new thing you know we've had a form of influencer marketing for for decades like it's just the same as having a well-known celebrity endorse your brand you know all i can think of is like like perfume um ads you know they always get like famous people to be in them and they use them to like brand their perfumes and whatever you know so that's that's influencer marketing you might not like it's so obvious to think that that's influencer marketing but I think today's influencer marketing is synonymous with social media which is but um just going to quickly break down the different general types of influencer marketing and then you can like jump in with any opinions you may have on that Megan uh so digitalmarketing.org have kind of like broken down influencers into four main general categories obviously it depends it varies a lot uh but they basically said at the bottom 
there's a nano I don't really like like these uh names like these category names I just think they sound really silly but uh, there's a nano influencer, so they tend not to be stars or celebrity influencers. They're your very, very ordinary everyday people. You know, you're unlikely to have heard about these people unless you're interested in a particular product. If you were, then you might get on your social media feeds like targeted, not ads, but like, you know, when you're on social media, you'll obviously get certain posts that you see come up in your feed because you like or like are interested in a certain product um they maybe only have typically around a thousand followers maybe maybe up to like five thousand followers and just to point out digitalmarketing.org is an american um site so their stuff's all in dollars and i haven't changed it but it gives you an idea of it so they've said that uh, like approximately they're likely to charge per post on for example instagram between ten dollars and a hundred dollars per post YouTube, $20 to $200 per video. If they were to, if like a company came to them and was like, oh, can you endorse our brand? Anytime they put a post or a video out that had that brand or product in it, that's how much they could charge to put that out there. And then on the next level, you've got a micro-influencer who are still everyday people, um, but they've maybe taken like their influencer market into the next level. They've maybe got more of a brand, maybe more of a strategy. Um, they put more effort into making good quality content, uh, which usually translates to having a bit more followers. They focus a bit more on a niche and have around 100,000 followers, maybe lower. Again, on Instagram, they could charge between 100 to $500 per post, and on YouTube, between $200 and $1,000 per video. Next level, no surprise, it's called macro influencer. So uh, this is still, again, like, like we said, you know, influencers are usually typically today ordinary people. But these are people who the general public may know of and are likely to have heard of. Um, and they've probably become well-known thanks to social media and the internet. So they typically have more than 100,000 followers, but it can be a lot higher than that. And they tend to be approached by like bigger brands looking to increase their brand awareness rather than having to go out and look for sponsorship or um, brand partnerships or advertisement. Um, on Instagram, they could charge between $5,000 to $10,000 per post, which is insane. And on YouTube, they could charge between $10,000 and $20,000 per video. Again, absolutely mind-blowing for being an everyday influencer. And then at the very top, um, you've got a mega influencer, which is just so funny. <laughs> They tend to be like global household names. So they're like, you know, people that you'd have on your perfume ads. So they could be famous actors, like musicians, uh, recognizable sports people. But the difference is like they have very little knowledge of the products they endorse. Like they have nothing to do with these products. So if you went to them and asked them about it, they would know they're literally just there to sell it because they're famous. Um, their followers might not tend to be of a particular niche because they don't need to be they're not they're they're there just for the person themselves not the product um any products that they endorse will reach such a huge audience because it's all about them not product 
Um, and they usually, if you had a mega influencer, they're usually going to like result in a considerable like upturn in product visibility and sales. So on Instagram, they could charge like $10,000 upwards per post. And on YouTube, it's about $20,000 upwards per video, which again, is crazy. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Megan. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's crazy how much money they make. Um, Isn't like, it though? Like, I've always thought that, that you see it when you're talking about the, is it the nano ones, the really small? Yes. People? Yes, Not small people, but you know, um, small <laughs> audience or whatever. Uh, yeah, but even then, they can make quite a lot of money just like you know, small scale because you've got like all that came in my head when you were saying that, and I don't know where they fit in the spectrum, but is like people who like I don't know are on Love Island or mm-hmm. even like contestants who were on Married at First Sight or even The Apprentice, like the um yeah they're just like they make a lot of money like from that and they've only had like a you know essentially like five minutes of fame but even that can lead to a lot of companies sort of jumping on that uh sort of bandwagon if you like of their fame but it also to me seems really it seems really precarious because it's all dependent on the level of fame that you have so if you're selling something just because of your image or the audience relate to you because you were on Love Island or whatever, you know, by the time the next series comes around or maybe even before then, you may become irrelevant and you'll lose whatever sponsorship deals you have or contracts because they're not actually interested in you in terms of, I'm not saying that contested, I, I'm not saying that like these people aren't talented, but, you know, if they're essentially only being targeted by companies because they were on a reality show then they're not being targeted because they're like actually like making the products that they're selling if you know what I mean yes and I think it's it can lead to being quite dangerous in that they don't know like for example say they were uh showing uh uh, fitness products or, or a health product if they don't know anything about it they're just saying oh this is great this shows this and there was a really famous case of this actually um, well I say really famous it's not really famous but it's a well known case uh, of uh, oh my goodness I've forgotten her name the Kardashians mother what's her name Chris no Chris Jenner yeah Chris Jenner, she had this, uh, it was a fitness or a, or a like weight loss product. And she was like, oh, this weight loss product has helped me lose like so much weight. And it hadn't. Her photo had been like photoshopped and you could see that the photo was photoshopped. And she was like, look at the difference. And she, you don't even know if she used the product or if um, it really even made that difference. And it obviously didn't because the whole thing was photoshopped so it's really dangerous that they're then like 
endorsing a product that a they know nothing about and that b like they're just like lying to you almost that like the results and they know they can get away with it just because of the number of people that follow Chris Jenner not that want this product but just like Chris Jenner for example um so yeah and it's just funny how like on the other end of it you get people who are like nano influencers smaller influencers in reach and stuff who like really need to like to build their brand they need to know their stuff they need to know their market they need to know the products they need to know the industry so that people then can't come at them and be like oh you know you're selling us false information and stuff and we'll get into that later but it's just funny that the more famous you get and it's like with anything the higher up you get the less involved you actually are with the running of things the product knowledge stuff like that so it's just funny how you you see that and with the more influence you have the less you are involved in the product knowledge, which is quite dangerous in of itself. So, yeah, very interesting. Um, yeah, on that, I was just thinking when you were talking before, do you see a difference between um, an influencer and a celebrity? Because I was thinking of when you were talking there about Oprah Winfrey. And I have to shout out that this a lot of what I'm about to say comes from a really good podcast that if you are interested in this sort of topic um, is Maintenance Phase. And it's done by Aubrey Jameson and Michael Hobbs. Uh, they're American. Uh, it's really good. Uh, and they do a two-part episode where they talk about Oprah Winfrey and the sort of influence that she's had, and they're particularly about her weight loss because Oprah was really... Um, I know this might be jumping the gun a bit because you're going to go on to um, fitness. But anyway, um, yeah, she was really famous for talking about her weight loss because she famously went... She'd done this... You know, when she had her show, she she would sensationalize, sensationalize her weight loss. So she did this stint, this sort of stunt where she brought out like her jeans and she was like look at the size of my jeans and then like said like how how small they've gone and then she also did this really famous one where she brought out essentially like a I think it's like a jug or something it was massive like of all the fat that she'd lost and you saw it and um, it's been heavily criticized now um, as being like really harmful to do that but she was like a huge influencer and she's had a massive impact just in general, um, some people call her like the very, very first influencer before the Kardashians, before social media influencers. She was really important in influencing shopping trends that women bought, how women thought about themselves, um, like even therapy, uh, book recommendations, because she always like she featured a book on like her show, people would buy it. She was really influential in like um, sort of propelling people's um status I guess so like one of the famous TV personalities that she made well known to everyone was Dr Oz I don't know too much about him he's a really American uh famous American kind of like fitness sort of guy <laughs> again he's quite um controversial now because a lot of people say that like the stuff that he um advertises and talks about is quite harmful to people in respect to like diet and things but yeah, she is said to be, there was an article where Courtney Wortham, so she's a marketing 
Um, she's a partner at a marketing agency called Cognit World and she said that the most successful influencers are those that have an emotional impact with the audience and that's why Oprah Winfrey throughout her whole career has been really really influential because she is willing to share personal stories she's willing to cry with her guests um, to document like with her weight for example when she put the weight on when she put the, when she, the weight came back off uh, she talked about like um, difficulties that she maybe had with her marriage and things and you could talk about whether you know she really should have done that because like should does she have to like share all of that if you know what I mean and is it coming from like a genuine place but that maybe is a different issue um and just talking about like fitness she's also as I said she's talked about her weight a lot and um she's been credited I think it was an article in the Guardian recently I think it was 2015 so it's not that recent I suppose um where they talked about the fact that she has done a lot to make Weight Watchers um, sort of relevant again because Weight Watchers was going like down in terms of its money and people sort of investing into it and wanting to use the service and then she came on board as an ambassador um, and since then it's kind of like become a lot more trendy again um, because there was this thing about people especially in America uh, sort of losing face and diets and then she kind of made that more popular again so uh she's just an example of kind of like where the two sort of worlds of like celebrity and influencer meet i guess yeah that's really interesting like i think as we go further in the episode um i think we would definitely like see those sorts of trends with uh oprah um and how they translate to like influencers in general but um yeah it's interesting when you talk about like Oprah Winfrey and like her being really open about certain stuff because I think one of the key things to be a successful influencer is relatability especially within fitness um and you need to have a certain trust with that person and if you're open and you're supposedly transparent it means that more people are willing to follow you um and trust what it is that you're saying because they feel like they know you and when people humanize people it means that what you're selling or what you're telling them to do becomes attainable and especially in fitness um i think that's the key it's like if you can do it then i can if you have these flaws and i have them then we're kind of on the same page and it works for me because it works for you so i think it's a really interesting tactic that we that is is definitely key to being a successful influencer whether that's um as a celebrity or just as an everyday um person online so yeah um and i just wanted to quickly end with like an idea of where like influencing is that in 2021 the insider reported that influencer marketing in general is set to become a 15 billion dollar industry by 2022 so don't know if it's actually there now um and yeah it's like played such a especially within fitness it's played such a key role in like globally establishing a host of well-known brands which i will get into later and i'm sure everybody has probably got in their head gymshark because it's like such a good example of a successful um influencing um but yeah i just wanted to quickly do an overview we've kind of done it but just a few more points about how fitness influencing actually works um, specifically rather than just focus on influencing in general um so 
the wellness creative co sort of put out like five sort of steps of how you could become a successful fitness influencer yeah apologies (laughs) before you go into the um more fitness world I just had something that came into my head and I had to just like Google it a little bit because I forgot the details. Um, But you know how we were just talking about influencers and talking Mm -hmm. about how like celebrity and I was talking about like influencers come a lot from the world of reality TV or uh, just, you know, building up your brand on social media, like maybe like a TikTok star or something like that. Um, it came into my head about Molly Mae Haig so like she is like maybe like a really good example of the good and the bad about influencers I guess because she sorry if you were going to say something about this earlier please just let me know I mean later just let me know Um, yeah so she competed when she was younger like she competed in beauty pageants and things like that so she's always been I guess maybe in that world but she became really famous when she was on the fifth series of Love Island which is a a UK TV show uh, basically where single people go into this sort of island and pair up and yeah I don't know where she came in the series but anyway she ended up going out with Tommy Fury and she's still with him now as far as I know um she became really really popular for her style for particularly like the way she wore her hair I think she had like really good like curly hair or something I don't know um when she came out and so she made a lot of like collaborations with like beauty products and beauty brands by 2020 she reached like this massive milestone of having like four million followers on Instagram and one of the key brands that she partnered with was Pretty Little Thing which is an online sort of fast fashion uh, company uh, quite popular in the UK um, she then became I think it was 2020 or 2021 I'm not sure she became the creative director of Pretty Little Thing um, so she's become really successful for that um, it was 2021 that she became the creative director but on the flip side of that um, she has come up against quite a few controversies since becoming creative director um because well she was now i'm apologize for maybe doing a wikipedia but here we go uh she was reprimanded for running an eight thousand pound online prize draw on instagram but it failed to follow the advertising regulations for such competitions uh because she wasn't able to provide evidence that the winners were picked randomly and fairly um so it just shows like do they really understand like what they're taking on when like they start being when they start having a business which is running predominantly online uh and then she's also had a few controversies around comments that she made on another podcast by uh the ceo stephen bartlett where she said where she was accused of being tone deaf to people living in poverty and wealth inequality because she's essentially repeating the old sort of Thatcherite um, sort of, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, Sentiment? Ideology? Yeah, yeah. That, uh, you know, if you work hard, you can kind of pretty much like achieve anything. 
um sort of thing and like that she works really really hard and other people are like don't kim kardashian's come up against that as well actually quite recently for saying something like that too and a lot of people argue that well you're just an influencer and you know what have you done you've only you, you've got the success off the back of like maybe being on like a reality show so it's like really if you work to that and again that could be something that could be explored with influencer and i think that's why some people have this negative view of them because it's like have you really worked to get where you are if you know what i mean um so yeah um it was suggested that she'd said that those less fortunate than herself in their upbringing only had themselves to blame for their lack of financial stability um because she said that we all have the same 24 hours in a day so kind of saying that other people sort of from that people thought that she was saying other people are really lazy um and it did spark quite a bit of like media backlash with some people saying that she should resign as Pretty Little Things creative director. So that's just a little bit of like a side note on the ups and downs of the influencer and I guess where the I the sort of negative view of them um, comes from is particularly in the media because I don't think the media in general really... Um, view influencers positively yeah and i think it's it definitely comes from the whole non-traditional path of getting to where you are like for example molly may like don't know what her educational background is but if you looked in the traditional conservative sense of like britain since we're talking about britain like you know you would have to like work your way up through certain steps and get your grades and go to uni and do this and do this and then you become a CEO you don't do that through social media and then get given that job and I think a lot of people are resentful of that so would naturally want to look for any flaws in someone who's made their money that way but equally you know the comments that she made on uh, the CEO podcast like Stephen Bartlett's one um they are they are a little bit insensitive um because I'm not saying that she hasn't worked hard and I'm not saying that she's just been given it on a platter. Um, but, you know, I I think she needs to be aware that coming up through that, there is a certain amount of luck involved in that. When I say luck, I mean, you know, like, it's just so happens that you've got given these opportunities to be on a TV show like Love Island. And I know she's tried very, very hard to distance herself from being on Love Island since then, but you cannot escape the fact that like that was your platform, much like social media would be for a lot of people. Um, yeah. Um, but on the flip side of that, I would also argue that you could say that, you know, we're in a different time of what constitutes um, maybe like working for something. So if her goal was, for example, to be famous, which a lot of people's goal is, whether you agree that that's a good goal or not, that could just be what you work that you're working towards or working towards being a model or being in the beauty industry. And, you know, she has been in she's participated in beauty pageants since she was like a teenager she like won the miss teenage world or whatever it's called um in Herefordshire, and she was in 2015 she won the world teen supermodel uk in 20 in 2016 um yeah and she went on to like you know be awarded like a first runner-up at like international competitions um so did i just say miss 
Teen World in Herefordshire. Sorry, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, Miss Teen Herefordshire in 2015. Uh, but yeah, you could argue that, you know, she has been doing that before she went into um, Love Island. And it's just that Love Island propelled her status and her fame. But that's not saying I completely agree with the comments that she made. I don't. I'm just saying that, you know, there is that um, counter argument just as a devil's advocate sort of um, <laughs> input there. No, no, that absolutely makes sense. I, I mean, there's, there's, there's positives and negatives to it. And I think people do need to realise that we are in a different time and place and how you can be self-made. There's, there's, it's not always like one route to it. Um, but yeah, um, I'll just, unless there's anything else you want to like say on it, I can just like go into fitness influencing and then like kind of what makes fitness influencing and where fitness influencing is at the moment, like the landscape of it. Uh, yeah. So as I said before, these, this sort of information comes from the wellness creative call and they sort of whittled down uh, five general steps of how to be a successful fitness influencer. Um, so they've said that step one is to pick a niche, which is kind of the same with any marketing strategy. Um, as fitness influencing is becoming a pretty crowded industry, they obviously need to stand out. So you could your niche could be, you know, certain training techniques for specific needs or interests. You know, you could do like uh, cardio, hit, whatever, you know, something like that. Um, because if you did it so general, people wouldn't know to come to you for a specific pool of knowledge. Um, step two is obviously build your audience. You can't really be an influencer without a good audience. So they need to also learn how to engage with the audiences that they A, want to follow them and B, they follow so that people know their name. You know, that could be as simple as if people comment on Instagram posts, you know, like their stuff, say thanks all that sort of simple stuff to show that you actually care about your community. Uh, number three, like I said, you need to become an authority, especially in fitness, because people need to like trust your knowledge. So you could do that by like sharing industry news, uh, keeping up to date with changes within the industry that you're um, interested in, which of course, as we're talking about, is fitness. So, um, and also you would see it if you follow fitness influencers, you, know, you need to answer questions, whether that's people being like, hmm, I want to get this result. What do I do? I don't know about eating this or I don't know about this technique or form or something, but it shows that if they have questions about certain stuff, you are the person to go to. Uh, number four is then if you want to make money from it, you've got to pitch to sponsors and advertisers. And like I say, if you're lucky to be super well-known, you won't need to pitch to them. They'll come to you. But yeah, you would need to do that by maybe like creating like a media kit, creating a brand. Um, and then number five, they say, is over-deliver and track results. So that means that like you need to go all out to make sure that your sponsored posts are a success. So you need to like boost social posts, maybe pay for ads and um, go above and beyond and ensure that the brand gets is, gets value for money. And um, you need to show to the people, the brand that you're um, advertising um, that there's value for their for them so you could like record stats and results and then send it to them in a report because they need to see that there's some return on their investment to make sure that them investing in you is giving them the sales that they want um 
but it's very general. I wouldn't say that that's the be all and end all of like the blueprint of becoming a fitness influencer. But um, Unemo also sort of whittled it down to like three key steps, which are pretty much exactly the same thing. Um, you know, produce enough fitness content to gain attention and grow a following, cultivate your personal brand and become a fitness and brand ambassador or sponsored athlete in some sense. Um, and above all, like the fitness industry um, is about like the the whole thing of like fitness influencing and like the the why it's sort of become big they sort of say is that like influencers this is one of the positive things with fitness influencers is that they've shattered this idea whether you agree with it or not Megan like they sort of say that they've shattered the idea of um that like uh achieving your dream body is only attainable for a select few people who work really hard, who are like bodybuilders, who make it their life's work to like have the best like body and everything like that. And fitness influencers have sort of just made it more achievable and attainable for everybody. You know, like we were saying with uh, Oprah, like um, the, the whole thing is if this person who you Megan for example say you're on social media you identify with can reach their fitness goals then you're thinking mm, so can I because like I was saying the key to it all is the relatability that's what makes a successful fitness influencer and coupled with all these other steps that's how you make money from it but first and foremost you have to make sure you're relatable to people that follow you um, so I just wanted to do a brief overview of the fitness influencer landscape, right? Because I don't know if you, I know you're kind of like don't have too much knowledge of like fitness. So you might think that like, oh, is it actually big? And randomly of all things, I didn't even know that Curry's do studies, but they do. They have like a tech talk blog. So in 2021, they did a quite a good study of like fitness influencers and the landscape of it. And um, they uh, wanted to see, like, who are the biggest fitness influencers and how they make their money and how big their followers are. So, you know, they've kind of done it because today, more than ever, like, people are turning to social media for free workouts, nutrition advice, wellness support, which means that more and more people, whether they're nano influencers or mega influencers, are driving more towards the industry um, and there's much more content creators out there in that industry um, and obviously as your community grows and as you become much more of an influencer then you get more paid sponsorships and brand, brand collaborations and that effectively is how you become a successful influencer because at the end of the day if you want to make it your business you want to make money so I don't know if you've ever heard of her but um, have you ever heard of Chloe Ting? No I need to google. Okay Uh you might have heard of her or not, but she was really big. And, and bearing in uh, mind, yes, I think I have. Okay, bearing in mind, you have to you have to lock down in COVID into this because it has exploded because a lot of people wanted to work out at home and be fit at home. Whilst they were stuck at home, you want to do something successful. So being like fit and stuff would have been the way to do that. So I think that's another reason why they're really big. They have like loads of followers. Chloe Ting was massive. Like loads of people were like, oh, I'm going to do a Chloe Ting program. I'm going to have abs. I'll talk about that later. <laughs> but yeah, she has just shy. This is, remember, this is 2021, so it can be bigger now. But she has just shy of 20 million followers across YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok combined. And she's the most subscribed to fitness influencer 
um, on YouTube, and she has a huge 16.5 million subscribers signed up for her workout videos and recipes. Number two is Temi Demi Bagby. I've never heard of her. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't say that's anything to go by. I'm not saying she's not well known because I haven't heard of her. <laughs> but she has 16.5 million followers across all three platforms. Um, and she has, her biggest success, I think, comes from TikTok. So she has 14 million um, followers on TikTok alone. Um, number three is Michelle Lewin, who is the biggest, I think, when it comes to Instagram. Uh, she has 13.8 million followers on Instagram alone. Um, and then if you look at earnings, which is quite interesting, I think also it's really interesting to note that the top three fitness influencers are all female. I think it's really interesting that like it's not males. And I don't know if that's just because they want new pe- new women to come through to fitness or that men don't rely on social media for it. I don't know. I don't know what, what that is. I don't know where that comes from. But I do think it's interesting to know the majority in this study in the top 10 are female. However, the top earnings, I mean, in saying that top earnings are... Uh, Oh, I don't think I'll say his name right. It's not Simon. It's like Simone Pando, who um, has raked up to $140 million from YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. So that's approximately $17.5 million a year. He's also the top earning fitness Instagrammer, and he... um, earns approximately 17.4 million annually just from uh instagram and he's also like launched his own brand off the back of that as well so quite a lot of that might have came from there as well um number two is a former athlete and pe teacher matt morcia he earns the most from youtube and from youtube alone uh, per year he earns about 3.9 million dollars And then from the back of that, he's done like dieting books, training books um, called 24-7 Body. Never heard of it, but again, doesn't doesn't mean much. And then on TikTok, as we've mentioned, Demi Bagby tops the list on TikTok and she earns $1.8 million a year from TikTok alone. So you know, you can earn big money from being a fitness influencer just from YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, um, which is insane. So just wanted to quickly, um, before we get into like positives and negatives and unpack it all a little bit more, just to sort of, because you might be thinking like how, if it's a busy market, if a lot of people are making more fitness content, is it a saturated market and how exactly are so many people making so much money from it? So um, Up Influence in 2018, they kind of said that they don't think it's a saturated market, but that was 2018. And would that have just been just that would have been before the pandemic, which I do think you have to take into consideration. I think it's made such a big difference. Um, but whilst they said it's not a saturated market, they have said it's it's um, not a small market. It's, it's a growing market. And they said that in 2018, there was approximately 40k influencers on Instagram who responded to the fitness niche. Um, 
but you know to put that in context like the biggest industry on these platforms would be fashion and beauty and fashion and beauty at that time was like well over 70k um influencers across these platforms um however the fitness industry has that had at that time about an 8.9 billion reach so it's still pretty big um and aspire they said in 2018 quite contradictory they said that it is a saturated market they said that there are over remember this is 2018 so it's probably way bigger now um they said there's over 118 million users of the hashtag fitness like the fitness hashtag on instagram um and yet they said that to match this demand fitness influencers fitness influencers have emerged on social media to serve up daily doses of motivation inspirational stories meal plans and educational videos and 62 percent of fitness brands have taken advantage of these voices through influencer marketing so you know like a lot of brands because there's a big appetite for it excuse the pun um for like fitness information and wellness and all of that then a lot of brands have obviously turned to fitness influencing um, in their marketing strategies. And as I'd said before, as promised, um, I was going to mention Gymshark just to show how big fitness influencing is. And if you can create a brand solely through fitness influencers and just solely through an influencing marketing strategy, then it has to be, to me, in my opinion, it has to be a big market. So Gymshark is a UK-based athleisure brand I think that's such a strange word um and it was one of the first to leverage fitness influencers for marketing and it did so with like a huge amount of success like previously if they hadn't done that like not a lot of people would know Gymshark but if you talk to anybody who goes to the gym who's into fitness they'll know Gymshark and they basically just did it through fitness influencers so um they are now uh, like a globally recognized brand. Like I didn't even know they were just a UK brand um, when they started as a UK brand. So they're valued between 300 million to 400 million today. And this study that I was looking at came from Glowflox when they were talking about Gymshark and that was in 2021. Um, so they're probably worth more maybe now, like a little bit more now. Um, yeah, so they have three Instagram profiles with a combined following of over 5 million users. And the Gymshark hashtag has been used over 7 million times. So they are one of the brands that if you look at um, fitness influencers, like you will see a lot of people in collaboration with Gymshark. So it would work, you know, like, oh, Megan, like you're a fitness influencer and you've got this certain amount of reach. Gymshark may... Um, get in contact with you and say would you like to be brand ambassador for us they would like send you products and stuff and you would um use them in your content and you would also like there should be transparency now between sponsored content and you doing your own content but with Gymshark if we're looking at Gymshark so they could like if an influencer was going to like do a sponsored content specifically to say like I am promoting Gymshark they would need to say that this is a paid ad or that it's it's a sponsored partnership so that you know with them featuring in Gymshark they are going to make a cut from whatever engagement or whatever like however many followers look at that post 
So you know that if you like that, you are pretty much like saying to that pair, you're, you're, it's pretty much like money in their pocket if you like that, because the whole point of that post is Gymshark are going to be like, how many people engaged with that post? All right, you got like a certain thousand or whatever, we'll give you a certain amount. Like we were talking about before, like it's the money that comes from that post or video. That's how that would work. So yeah, um, Gymshark are such a good example of that. And to me, that just means that like fitness influencing is quite big. If you can make a like... 400 million dollar 400 million pounds sorry i'm so used to talking dollars now um business from fitness influencers alone like surely that means it's a big industry um and then i just wanted to quickly mention like you were talking about with molly may um how a lot of people have made money from uh fitness influencer and like it comes from entrepreneurship i can never say that word properly uh so if you've been really successful and you've got your followers and you've got like brand partnerships, the next thing may be for you to start your own business. And I just think there's been so many fitness influencers who have started their own business on the back of just like their social media presence alone. Um, I don't know how, maybe you need to be like a macro influencer to do that, but they'll reach a certain point where they have enough of a following, a big community, and they will think, okay, um, A, I'm going to start like my own like project line. I'm going to start a fitness app. There's so many fitness apps out there. Um, you know, like loads of influencers have produced their own merchandise or workout guides. Um, and they've launched like full scale businesses based off their reputations alone. Um, Statistica said it forecasted that in 2022 there will be 86.3 million users of health or fitness apps in the United States, and that's based off 84 million users in 2021. Um, and then another stat is from App Annie, which is a mobile data analytic an analytics provider. Uh, they released their state of mobile 2021 report and said that. Um, they estimate that there will be 71,000 new health and fitness apps launched in 2020. Um, and they said that that figure was up 13% on 2019. In 2019, um, there was 24,000 apps on iOS and 47,000 apps on Google Play. So it's obviously like only increasing. Well, that's what they say. It looks like it's obviously increasing. But more and more people, once they reach a certain point, um, if you want to call yourself a fitness influencer, they're making their money through starting their own businesses. So to me, it, it like you may be thinking, like, is this a big, not a problem, but like, is this a growing uh, industry? And I think based on that, like you could kind of say that it is. I don't know what you think about any of that because we can unpack it more and then now look at like the positives and negatives of fit the fitness influencer industry and the positives of it being such a big thing and the negatives of it being a bigger thing um unless there's anything you want to particularly like discuss from those stats no i'm happy for you to just go on and talk about the positives and the negatives because i think you know a lot of that will tie into maybe the probability of the industry for sure um, yeah i mean yeah, so you know if you, thank you i know if you have like your you you'll have positives that you see from it you'll have negatives that you see so we have any just like jump in and say but the kind of ones that like 
society in general have seen and that like I sort of see we'll start with like positives so I think it's obviously a really good thing that they've said that like if you've got more people who are inspired and influenced by fitness influencers through social media it means that like it's much more like fitness and well-being becomes much more accessible for people um you know that's just through like more information through like free sort of guides you know you don't necessarily need to have paid apps and memberships and stuff um to be interested in fitness so I think social media allows a lot more people to get into that world um and you know I think across the board like society especially western society is much more interested in wellness and well-being so you know having fitness influencers is is a huge thing for that like it means that a lot more people can be invested in it um and it means that like we had said previously like it's not just consigned to elite bodybuilders you know more people can get interested in fitness and um looking after yourself and all of what encapsulates like well-being in terms of fit and healthy um and you know I think it is and we'll get into obviously there's massive massive negatives to like self-image and body image but you know there are positives to it because you know before you would have like these ideas of like fashion models being really like gone and thin from lack of food and and horrendous um diet culture that you know a lot of and I, I don't want to um say that it's just specific to girls because obviously it affects men too so I'll just say like young people um it would affect them quite badly that that's the images that they see and they would think that that's what they should and have to attain to so I think you know it's a stretch to say that those sorts of pressures to be thin and look a certain way have gone but I think like the emphasis of that's kind of changed so you know in its place you've got a lot more information about being healthy and about um fitness and stuff and looking after your body and that like looking like that is actually a good thing I think that's great obviously like I say we'll get into the fact that there's a lot of misinformation out there and you do have to be wary of what you're listening to um but at least there's a platform for stuff like that to shift away from like just like intense cardio and crash dieting and stuff and um especially if you were being specific about like strength training and weight training like I think like that's I always thought like that had a big that was a big trend particularly because like me personally like I am interested in that so in the echo chambers of social media that's all I'm going to see so then I've made the mistake of thinking oh that's obviously like a really big thing and that's like a big trend in fitness and whilst I think it is like when I was looking up I, I fully expected to see uh like stats if you can find any stats to say that like oh strength training and weight training is going to be like a big thing and it's going to be a trend and you know I was surprised to find out that like that specific niche in fitness health and fitness isn't um it's still there but it's not as big as I thought it it would be but that's just a mistake that I've made off my own social media habits so another thing to look out for um but yeah I'll go into the stats about that uh but I think I was trying to like show that 
gym memberships and like fitness interest is up so there was a study by strength ambassadors in 2022 that showed that um 54% of gym memberships and 76% of group fitness classes attendees in the UK are female. And I know I'm like putting it into like a niche, but I just thought like that was really interesting how I was talking about um, how the sort of like top 10 in that study previously, um, the tech talk one, um, had shown that like the top fitness influencers for followers and um, well for followers really I think the top for making money were men but uh were primarily female and it's interesting to see how that's translating into real people like taking up fitness and and taking up gym memberships so you can see that um there's like a parallel there so it shows that influencing really is working especially with female I'm not saying that like men couldn't follow females of course they could but you usually see that if it's a female influencer they're going to be targeting female audiences and likewise if it's a male influencer they're going to be targeting male audiences um but it's interesting to see that with the top female influencers it's like translated that more people are taking up like like the um, more than half of gym memberships are now female in the UK and more than half of fitness groups fitness class attendees are female like 76 percent of them so kind of shows that there's a uh, what's the word uh can't think of the word but um ah that's so frustrating but there's like a parallel there um like a cause and effect sort of thing um and then I just wanted to look at like because I was interested in like fitness trends like I said like I thought that strength training would be much more of a fitness trend in 2022 just because that's what I see on my social media feeds um so I found this study uh from the ACSM fitness journal that was looking at fitness trends in 2022 and they kind of took data across all regions and then ranked them into like the top eight global health and fitness trends so um Number one was exercise for weight loss. That accounted for 20.5% of the top popular fitness trends. Number two was personal training, accounted for 18.4%. Number three was functional fitness, accounted for 15.1%. Number four was body, body weight exercises, accounted for 10.8%. Number five was outdoor activities, accounted for 9.2%. Number six, home exercise training, accounted for 92 and number seven was wearable technology, accounted for 8.6. And number eight, strength training with free weights, accounted for 8.1%. So it's just interesting like to see these trends and to look at like trends and see if like the trends are um congruent with what you're seeing on social media. Like it'd be interesting, I haven't done the study, but it'd be interesting to see if like the top influencers we're using these trends and to see if that's why these trends are like one, two, three, you know, but that's my positives. I don't know if you have any more positives from that. No, no, not that I can think of. Okay. Uh, I'll go into negatives. I'm sure we both have a lot of negatives about, like I said, obviously the main negatives of um, fitness influencer industry is uh, body image and diet culture so um a lot of the fitness obsession on the online sphere in the online sphere is pretty like rampant and that's why you see a lot of influencers and the rise of influencers um and 
Uh, interestingly, there was a study of, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll link all of these in the podcast link. It was from Glowfox in 2021. And uh, it was a study of 160 female graduates who found that those who only viewed the fitness inspo hashtag content had less self-comparison self-compassion so it's interesting that you'd think if you were looking at fitness stuff you'd think "Hmm, I feel better about myself actually they don't the more that they looked at it the less that they felt good about themselves because it can be quite toxic obviously to keep looking at these certain images of people who are really fit really healthy and then looking at yourself and thinking well I don't match that and naturally that lends to a very um low view of oneself um there's been a lot of backlash against diet cultures with a lot of people in the press calling out instagram uh, influencers to ban celebrities from promoting diet products like i was kind of saying about like chris jenner and stuff um because there's a lot of it out there you know people telling you you should eat this you shouldn't eat this and you know are these people qualified to to tell you that are they not like are they just promoting you to eat a certain way that isn't actually nutrition nutritionally beneficial for you you know a lot of people will say you need to eat this certain calories when you don't like it depends on the person like you need to go to specific dietitians for that advice but a lot of people obviously naturally are getting it online um, and of course, that leads into like, trust in influencers. You know, like how much trust should you put in influencers? Like just because someone has so many followers, people then think, oh, they obviously know what they're talking about. But are these people actually qualified to tell you what it is that they're telling you? Yes, influencers, like we've said, they should be in a certain niche and they should have, they should be an authority on whatever the subject is that they're promoting. But are they? Where are they getting the information from? Like, just because, like I've said, they have a certain amount of followers does not mean that they know what they're talking about. But I've done that before. You know, you look at someone and go, oh, they've got like four million followers. They obviously know what they're talking about. But do they? Or are people following them for different reasons? You know, it's it's difficult because, like, I thought it was really interesting. Again, this came from Will Fox. Um, it was a study from Universal McCann in think around about 2021 and they said that only four percent of users trust the content they see online from influencers four percent that is so 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 low considering what an influencer's job is to do is to positively influence people and four percent trust what they see from them makes you wonder like what's the point um again it's because you know when you look at like bodybuilding and you look at um fitness influencers online like they all look the same if they're doing professional stuff like they're doing professional videos videos they all look the same because there's so many tricks that they can use to make themselves look better than they are like lighting is a big thing like if you use contrast lighting and it like it makes your body look different than it is if you use like it's why you see bodybuilders right who look like really orange you know i've seen those pictures of them and the re-bikinis this like I don't know the ins and outs of it, but the certain stuff that they use is used specifically to make the muscles that they have on their body look better. And in certain light, it's going to make look it makes them look like they're much more defined than they are. I'm not saying that the muscle isn't there, but that's not every day. You're not walking about like fully flexed, like oh my god, like I'm just like a bronzed god. No, like it's it's all posed. It's all to do with lighting. It's all to do with makeup or or whatever you put on your skin, stuff like that. And people need to be aware that when, I know it goes without saying that when you see that, like you should 
um, always be wary that it is to do with body posing, like the poses of your body and like um, lighting and stuff like that. But, you know, some people don't automatically think that when you look at things and especially if you're looking at it and you're then comparing it to yourself and your own self-image, um, you might think, you might get more depressed about that, even though you know it's like unattainable and it's unrealistic, it's still quite negative for um, your own mental health, I suppose. Um, yeah, and, and I, I know there are a lot of influencers out there. It's such a thing now, if you look at like Instagram, TikTok videos, they'll go, this is what a real body looks like, right? And they'll be posed and then they'll be unposed. And they'll go, just to remember that everything you see on Instagram is not real, right? And they'll go posed, unposed. And, you know, they've got like their blowies or they have a belly or stuff like that, which is natural. And it's good that they're doing that. So they're obviously doing certain stuff. But at the same time, they're still putting up images of them posed, of them doing certain workouts. So it's quite jarring that in one post they'll be like, oh, I'm calling out. And in the other, they're still posing to a certain standard that's kind of saying, if you follow what I do, this is what you will look like. Like the paradoxes is like fitness and um, Instagrammers, like uh, influencers, sorry, they're all Instagrammers. Um, they all post photos of like their whole body, their abs, their thighs, their behind, because they want to obviously show that the exercises they're selling work. So it makes sense that like they would show living proof of these results. But then, like I was saying, at the same time, they all then say to their followers, mm, don't compare yourself to us because what you see on Instagram is fake. So it's like, on the one hand, they're like, oh, yeah, this is like, do what I do to look better. But then they're like, mm, it's actually all fake. So it's like, obviously, it's not all fake. But, you know, they mean that, like, when they're posed, it's posed, you know, especially with abs. Nobody goes around with abs. It's the whole, like, do what I say, don't do what I do sort of thing. Exactly, exactly. Or is that the other way around? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, do... No, I think it's that way because they'd be saying, oh, it's fine, just have a normal body, but um, I'm yes. going to just be over here working out constantly. That's it. That, that's it. Um, and then I don't know how you feel about this, but like some influencers, obviously, like because if they want to show that their programs, especially if they've got apps and stuff, work, they all show before and after pics of their own clients. And obviously it is, you want that because it's, it's testimonial stuff and it shows that, you know what they're selling works but you know it, it, again it's the same sort of thing that you were talking about with Oprah it's like it could be problematic because it means they're just focusing on appearance and not everything else you know like the mental health sort of side internal health sort of side but then if they want to sell something they're going to have to show that it works so I don't know if that's particularly problematic but it could be for certain people um, and then of course the after only encapsulates like a single moment so usually if people want to show that they've got results they're going to pose for those results like they're going to pose flex they're going to pose in certain clothes in certain lighting with a certain posture so it's going to look like they're look good but that's but then if, if if you're if we're talking about muscle here you're going to have to flex to show your muscle so it's, it's it's a difficult one um and yeah, the biggest thing as well is just misinformation that you can get from influencers because a lot of people out there will 
will say, eat this, don't eat this, exercise this way, do this exercise, don't do this exercise. And you just, obviously it's good that you're getting more information about fitness, but you just don't know if the information is verified um, and then you might not know who to follow because a lot of people do have contradictory information you also don't know what's a trend and what's not a trend I think in fitness there's a lot of that where like I think this is a problem with TikTok in general is it like too many people make the same videos so if that goes into like fitness stuff people might be like oh uh, lots of people are like shown how to do I don't know like the certain exercise and then everyone else will do it and then someone will be like oh no I want to show you how to do it differently and you don't know whether it's just a trend that they're building on or what they're actually telling you is real knowledge really conflicting um and again I just wanted to do like an like show an example of that like I was going to say like uh how I mentioned before Chloe Ting so she was really big specifically like in the lockdown um with a lot of fat loss stuff and um she had these ab programs which everyone like really loved and it would be like get abs in like two weeks or something which is absolutely ridiculous how can you get abs in two weeks <laughs> you know like a lot of scientific research and, and it would focus because like to get abs is basically fat loss like you have to have like, like some ridiculous zero point something percent fat on your body to have abs because that's literally all it is um and um scientific research has proven that you can't um really spot reduced fat and you know fitness influencers would create like content being like it'd be like youtube ad youtube videos like 10 to 20 minute youtube videos with workout guides being like burn fat from this specific area and like scientific research has been like you know you can't specifically target any area of your body to like burn fat you can't be like, oh, I've got like fat calves. I'm gonna just specifically like target that bit and like I don't know. I'm just FYI, my information is also false, so don't follow it. Um, but like you know, it's just an example. You might not be able to do a specific exercise that's going to target fat loss in that particular area. You know, it'd be like full body stuff, or it'd be like just like like being fit in general or toning up or something like that. Um, but anyway, like these fitness influencers would create videos and, and making you think that if you do this over a certain amount of time, you're going to lose fat in that specific area when you might not. Um, and it's maybe like really misleading to people who think they're going to see specific results. And yeah, so Chloe Ting would like create like workouts, like I say, to like lose, uh, to uh, like ab workouts. Um, and, you know, as we sort of just said like um studies have proven that like you can't spot reduce fat um specifically not in like two weeks but her thing would be like if you want to have abs which is losing fat you can do it in two weeks and you can so like a lot of people don't follow the knees thinking oh i have to when really it's coupled with diet it's coupled with like the way if you, especially if especially if we're talking about muscle like it's more than likely going to be your diet and not your workouts and it's just like again if people then do focus on diet and like um and nutrition and stuff do they have uh the qualifications to do so so yeah it's just um finding out whether influencers actually do have the knowledge behind what it is that they're selling so it's it's um it's very contentious um so here's my questions do you trust and know, do you think that 
they know what they're doing, the people that you follow. And how, what do you look for when you follow someone? Mm, that's so difficult. Um, like I sort of said, I follow it. I fall into like the trap of being like, oh, you have a lot of followers, so you must know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I don't go and look up the person and be like, oh, uh, like you have this certain qualification. I don't know what the qualification is that I'm looking for if I wanted to. So I don't do it like personally and I should. Um, I'm really bad as well if like I'm on Instagram and you see certain videos of stuff and I'll be like, oh, they've just showed, they've just said like, I could show like, see like one video, right? And it'd be like, oh, do this exercise this way. And then you see another that's like, don't do this exercise if you want to target. It's really ineffective. Do it this way. And you'd be like, I've just seen someone that said do it that way. And then someone who's not, and you're like, I don't understand what to do. (laughs) And then sometimes I'll like go off social media and go on like, say like, bodybuilding.co.uk or something and I'll look there and I'm like that's a more trusted source I don't know if that is a more trusted source but like, I feel like it is because it's like written down if that makes sense mm-hmm. and I'm like if Instagram and that didn't exist that would still exist mm. so like I don't really know I definitely definitely said fall on the trap of looking at like followers um I like to look at the comments and I like to see what people say and if I see like one or two like they're at the top and they're like this is a load of rubbish I'm like oh don't follow that but I don't know if the people that are saying it's a load of rubbish know that it's a load of rubbish in that sense including you people need to take more time maybe to investigate and to look up like whether something is legitimate and make up their own mind and whether to follow it or not yeah absolutely do you think that influencers should mention or be honest about their weight? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Why? I know it's tricky. Nobody really wants to put numbers on certain stuff. Well, I don't know. Because it doesn't really matter, does it? Well, see, I suppose my question's maybe not the best because I'm not meaning, well okay I think that they shouldn't necessarily mention maybe what their weight is but I think that they may need to be honest if they're not um if they are say for example they're healthy weight right or they're underweight and they're still continuing to exercise I feel they should be honest about that doesn't they don't have to give the weight but I think they should tell they should say that yeah I I think because well I was told once by a dietitian in the NHS that anyone who's underweight shouldn't be exercising like purposely exercising yes obviously you can move around and walk to the shops or whatever you know they should not be actually purposely exercising and you know people might disagree with that because they may be like well someone could be you know, underweight, but like doing strength exercises or whatever, like maybe you do, or I don't know. I don't really know too much about fitness and different types of exercises. But personally, I think if you're if you're um, promoting something, I think you should be honest about whether your weight is healthy or it's too low, or your reasons for why you're exercising and things like that. Because I think people will see that and maybe be like oh, look at them, they're, like, really, like, they look really, like, fit and quite thin or whatever, and they're still exercising, so, do you know, I think there's the risk of that, but I do think it would go down a, 
slippery slope if they were to say what their weight is because that could lead to other problems for people with like you know uh eating disorders or body dysmorphia or things like that but I do think they should be a bit more honest about sort of their motivations for exercising if yeah. they're especially if they have a huge following yeah um sorry do you have anything else to add on that no I agree I agree okay um do you think that people who are following looking at or watching videos are actually doing the exercises no i think there's a large majority of people who just there's a name for them they just sort of like sit on the couch and scroll mm-hmm. it's like a name it's like couch surfing or something but it's not couch yeah they surfing. just sit and but watch them there's a name it's for like them. it's like but, it's like people that watch him um, like recipes or cooking yeah and they don't actually and they, 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 they're not sitting there like oh i'm gonna make that tomorrow right oh, um, like, that's also sorry just going to say that that's also how it could be quite misleading because say for example you were saying you might look at someone who's got loads of followers or this video's got loads of views but the views may just be people just watching it doesn't mean that they're actually follow what they've got loads of views because it worked exactly exactly and i think there's like an issue as well for fitness influencers where like they still need to like always straddle the line between especially if you want to make money like their free content and then what they want to put on their apps mm-hmm. um because if they stop putting, say, for example, it's workout videos, workout guides, if they stop putting them on their Instagram, for example, then they would lose a lot of followers because a lot of people just want to either just watch it or be watch it and follow it and not pay. But then they also need to make sure they've got enough exclusive content that you you need to then pay for their app. Mm-hmm. I know it doesn't really fall on. Yeah, I, point, get what you mean. I get what you mean. I think. But in that sense as well, I always feel quite guilty because... Um, like say I was watching something like if I was watching a fitness video or I was following someone on like I'd more use YouTube because that's that's how old I am um then I would use Instagram or TikTok but I would I would follow someone there yeah um so say I was watching a video I was like this is great this is like really working for me and you just keep using their stuff and they're making it and you're not giving anything back to them. You're like, so you might just even watch it, don't even like it, don't even scrape it, don't do a comment, don't give them any money, just take what they give. Out. Yep. And I suppose, I mean, it's up to them really whether they do that or not, but there is that bit of guilt, I feel like, you know, because they are doing that for you and if it's working for you, then, you know, you could try and like... Oh, I have that, that as well, absolutely. Yeah, I do that. I mean, I I am not subscribed to anything and like I still follow like people, but I, mm-hmm. I've never thought, oh, I'm going to like pay however much a month to get their guides. I just won't do it. Yeah, it's a bit like as well when you listen to really good podcasts or whatever, not saying that about others, but I've seen it about others. Um, and you're like, I don't subscribe to them, but I've been listening to them for ages. Yeah, yeah. Total side note. Anyway, um, I was also wondering, I, well, came in my head, uh, that for me personally, uh, whenever I've watched videos like this, I'm really into like the like the headline that they have on the video. So they might be like, ooh, like burn 500 calories or, or, or 10,000 steps in an hour. And you're like, whoa, I'm going to do that because I'll just get those steps out of the way for today. And like I feel that there's quite a lot of marketing in that, if you know what I mean. Um, and I've been really guilty for that in the past, like watching things like that and doing stuff like that, um, like videos on YouTube. Um, and for example, like the ten thousand steps things is such a misleading thing because I don't think that a lot of people actually talk about where that comes from. And ten thousand steps is a totally made up thing. 
it's mm-hmm. a marketing ploy. So it came from, if I remember correctly, it dates back to like a marketing campaign uh, in the 1964 Tokyo Tokyo Olympic Games by a company that was selling a pedometer and they called it, I'm, I can't even pronounce it because I don't know how to pronounce Japanese, right? But it's spelt like manpo and then like dash hyphen. Uh, K-E-I, right? But the the man part translates as 10,000 and the P-O part translates as 10,000. And then the key, the K-E-I translates as meter. So it was 10,000 steps meter. And since then, that number, since 1964, has just stuck and, and people don't even know where it comes from anymore. And they're like, oh my God, that's the absolute standard that we need to we need to work towards. And it's the healthiest number you can have in a day. And I remember, again, when it, like I was talking to dietitians that they would say, they're like, it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, there's no science behind it. Yeah, everyone will tell you that they're working towards 10,000 steps. Everyone wants to do 10,000 steps in a day. There's no science to it whatsoever. Um, so again, like, there's all these sort of like ploys and misinformation around it, like things like that and all these goals. Mm-hmm. It's very dependent on the individual. Yeah. So it's funny that like influencers can be, you know, these fitness people and have like millions of followers and all these followers will have very different um, lifestyles, body types, diets, you know, loads of loads of individual factors. And this person's never met that individual to work through like a plan with them. And yet they're all following it and expecting all the same results. But there's so many different variables at play that, it can't possibly surely work for everyone exactly so, yeah that's just another point that i was thinking of so again that sort of leads to like the authenticity around like the marketing and the in the in um the influence the fitness influence and industry um and just how you were talking about how you know they maybe say like oh you know it's good to have like a normal body or whatever it was that you said uh and I wonder then if that in itself is just a market employee, because as I said before, with like Oprah Winfrey, and you mentioned it again as well, that the most successful uh, influencers that have the most impact are the ones that um, show their emotions and uh, can be relatable. So if you show your emotions and talk about like normal bodies or like things like that, then that could be just be a marketing thing. And then you get that person hooked and then they now watch all your videos and forget that they ever started from them sort of being like, I like that person because they're really normal. Do you know what I mean? Exactly, so like, exactly. It gets further and further removed, yeah. Yeah. And then just so you're talking about testimonials, I actually think personally that's, I, I like them. Um, I There's something for me that whether whether they're real or not, there's something that worked for me. I know that, that like if I see someone ah. it's like, look at this person, they look quite normal. And I look at the photo and I'm like, that looks like they're just in their bedroom. So that's probably not a fake photo. And then I'm like, okay, they actually work on this person. So, I mean, that could be fake, but I know personally that's- I'm the same. They work for me. And, and it's the same with reviews across the board for anything that you're marketing. Mm-hmm. They work for me. Like if it's got yeah, good yeah. reviews, I'm like, all right, okay, it's clearly Same. a great product. Same. Um, and then the last point that I had was just around um I don't know how to word it really, but it's around these videos in particular, like workout videos and the schedules maybe that they say you have to use or how often you have to go to the gym or workout or what what outfits are best to wear or gadgets to have or whatever um whether it 
who who these are for and whether it's only for a particular set of people because do these reflect like normal working lives where people are working every day and maybe like their schedules are really busy or they have a lot of children and it's like families or whether it's people who are more wealthy and can afford all these things or does it cater to as well like disabled bodies um so yeah it's just sort of around like whether it's only for this particular group of people um you're right I mean I think on my personal experience that maybe I've just not looked for it but again you have to think of that as well what's out there mainstream is what more people will see I don't think a lot of people are going to specifically start looking for things that's how influencing works um I do think it's all a certain type of body image um I think maybe it's not like like thin even if it was toned even if it was muscly whatever it's a certain look and it's like you have to attain towards that to be classed as fit to be classed as healthy it's like I suppose that's why some people maybe have problems with the before and after is that the after is the really like fit and healthy body that's thinner that's muscular whatever it is that your goal is that's what it is but your goal is never and of course I am not saying that to be to put on loads of weight is healthy it's not but it's not unhealthy to have a body like that you know it's just there's not a lot of people that are out there like yeah. advocating for that well um, there is the body positivity movement but um I have to say like yeah there is I yeah. do think that fitness influencers do have a place because um it does make it a lot more accessible for people like you know I was just talking about like people's lives and things Mm -hmm. I suppose it makes it more accessible to them if they can't like afford to go to the gym or go for sure they've got access to like these things um but I think the biggest if there is a problem with fitness influence and I think the biggest issue around it is just honesty yeah I think I think that it's really good for um people to maybe be a bit more into fitness it can be really good for your mental health it can be really good for like self-development uh like your own self-image I think it's really positive that like you said we are maybe moving away from this idea of being you know really really thin to being more healthy and fit um which is really good I think but there is the flip side of that the issue around just being honest maybe when something if there are problems or you know if someone is exercising to an unhealthy extent or things like that I think that that does yeah. need to be addressed I mean I know that we have to about that perhaps yeah I think you've got it spot on and I think the last point is that like I suppose influencers cannot be responsible for like everybody's own decisions they can put the information out there and I there is a certain responsibility on people to do what is best for them with that information you cannot hold an influencer responsible for saying I do this workout so you have to do that and if they they decide to do it like 10 times then that is up to that individual that they've decided to do that maybe irresponsibly but again you do have to be wary being an influencer of what like you say what you're putting out there for certain people and if it's the right information um and just like not putting information out there that you're not qualified to teach if that makes sense so yeah i think that's it yep great i actually know what i'm doing next week so you can hit us with it. 
it's a bit different, but um, well, both of us really were massive fans of horror films, so yeah. I had to get that in somewhere. So I'm going to explore a bit more about that. I'm sure we'll both have a lot to say because, like I said, we're big fans of the genre. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to really talk about like its popularity and, in particular, my interest in the spike that you often see in the popularity of horror films when there is um, economic crises and uncertainty around uh, in everyday like society you will see generally a popularity in uh, horror films in the cinema and um, Netflix and every other platform people watch films on these days Great, looking forward to it This podcast was written and recorded by Megan and Claire and hosted on Anchor. Music was taken from Pixabay 